Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Zach Valivas, a 24-year veteran of the fire service, all volunteer and with the same organization, Fort Washington Fire Company in Pennsylvania. Zach holds the rank of Assistant Fire Chief. Zach believes in order to do the job correctly, you have to want to be good at this and remembering it's all about the basics. With that, I present Mr. Zach Valivas. Hey, uh, my name is Zach Valivas, and I am a Assistant Chief with Fort Washington Fire Company, and we are just outside Philly in Pennsylvania. Um, I got into the fire service mostly because of my grandfather. He was a fireman at the Enterprise Fire Company in Hamilton, New Jersey, a long time ago. So when I was young, he would take me to the firehouse every Monday. Um, actually, a lot of different firehouses. <laughs> so I kind of always had that, uh, that itch since I was a little kid. And then when I got a little bit older, I was able to, to join Fort Washington and I've been here ever since about 20, you know, this is my 24th year. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a, been a good ride. You know, majority of my friends are from the, from the fire service. So I, I owe it all to my grandfather and his, uh, his brother was also a member of the fire, fire company back then too. So I think that's where the, uh, that's where, that's where my itch started back when I was in really little visiting okay. firehouses. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Fort Washington, the size, uh, your, yeah. how, how many volunteers, your call volume? Yep. Yeah, so we're about 13 square miles, um, and it's we're you know suburban suburban area. Uh, we have a large industrial park. We have a large area of uh, single families, and our newest construction type is going to be the podium uh, town center style apartment buildings that have become really popular lately because they changed our zoning, where we used to only be able to have three story buildings, and now I think our tallest one is. It's basically six with a parking garage. So that's something new for us. Um, our company is all volunteer, although our fire marshal and our fire code uh, inspector both have their offices at the firehouse. So they can both drive, ride, help out. So we do have we do have help during the day. Call volume anywhere from 650 to 750 fire calls. We don't do any EMS. And we, you know, fire-wise, actual work in fires could be anywhere from 10 to 25 a year. Um but it's going to start going up because now everybody's finally getting on board with single pool uh, for mutual aid. So we, we have a pretty big area that we could go um, mutual aid. So I think our, our fires are going to pick up. Um, as far as volunteers, we probably have on the rolls, you know, 50 or 60, I would say we're probably 25 or 30 that are, that are active, you know, like most other places. Then you have your, your guys that are around all the time. Uh-huh. We're no different, um, but we have two stations. Um, our main station is uh, has a rescue, a rescue engine, a tower ladder engine, and then our B station has a rescue engine and another just straight engine. We have four boats because we do get urban flooding. We don't have any uh, bodies of water really. We have a reservoir, but we okay. don't really have there. We just have a lot of uh, urban flooding, and uh, we get we get kind of weird weather events. We get a lot of flooding. We get hurricanes. Like we had a tornado, an F2 tornado during the hurricane that came through last year. Wow. And I've never seen anything remotely like what I saw those. You know, we were we were nonstop for I think it hit around 
little bit after I got maybe around five o'clock. We were running nonstop to like three in the morning, and then we finally weren't sending anybody out on calls. And, and then for like a couple of days after, um, we were we were still responding and stuff. It was the destruction was incredible. One of our members, first and second floor of his house, got torn off while he was there. They were just getting in the basement. Wow. It was uh, never something, never uh, an event I thought I would see, uh, you know, in the Philadelphia area. But we saw it, and I did some research. And there was actually another tornado back in the early 1900s, kind of in the same area, which is pretty crazy. Okay. So we, we see a lot of different stuff. We also, um, in addition to our area, we cover the Pennsylvania Turnpike, uh, the busy section actually from Willow Grove, which is one exit up from us, down to what we call Mid-County, which is where the northeast, northeast extension of the Turnpike that goes up to like the Poconos, up that way, merges into the mainline Pennsylvania Turnpike. So we have a pretty good volume of calls on, on there. And then we cover Route 309, which actually has been pretty uh, quiet since they redid it. They made the on-ramps longer. They made it wider. So we don't go on there as much, uh, but we do we do a amount of uh, incidents on the highway as well. So for volunteer company, I think we're, we're probably right in the middle as far as, you know, our, our staffing and our uh, our call volume. I think we have some of the better staffing because uh, we, we tend to still get a lot of new people joining of all ages, whether it's younger kids coming out of high school where adults move into the area that are, you know, their kids are in college. Um, they just want, want something else to do. So we're fortunate in that aspect. We kind of like buck the trend as far as volunteers not available anymore. Mm-hmm. And the, number one, the number one reason why is because of our training, 100%. You know, we've had guys leave other departments just to come to our department so they can be involved in the training that we do, whether it's, you know, company training, whether it's bringing in outside instructors, um, hosting stuff like Nozzle Ford, we've done twice. And then we started um, doing a conference um, every, so this will be our third year this coming February. We're bringing four, four speakers from all over the country uh, just to kind of spread the word and give people the uh, the ability to, to see people they might not see unless they go to FDIC for a wage. Right. I think that's my, that's my main uh, contribution to the fire service as far as training. I've, I've organized a lot and, uh, I think I'm, I'm able to provide a lot of uh, access to people that um, people around here wouldn't be able to normally normally have. Right, right. Okay. So you currently hold the rank of assistant chief. Is that assistant chief of training or just? Assist, I am the training officer, but yeah, it gotcha. is operational level. We have, we have two assistants. Okay. I do both command level and, and training. Okay, okay. Um, but no, that's pretty crazy that, you know, for, for a volunteer agency, you don't, yeah, you don't hear that many volunteer agencies, you know, bringing in the heavy hitters for their members, you know, at, at a cheaper rate, because not, like you said, not everybody can go to FDIC to, to, you know, to spend that money to go see them. So that's, that's really good on your part. Very genius. Like I honestly, to, to bring them in and to hold different classes, you know, for your members. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's been, it's been good. And I, and, in addition to learning new things as far as tactically or, or just increasing your knowledge um, on all things related to the fire service, the, the networking aspect of it is probably the, uh, uh, the number two. Like I've met so many uh, men and women that I'm still friends with today that if, if I have a question or I don't know something, I have the person to call. Um, one thing that I've seen a lot of people when they get into the, the higher positions, they think they need to know everything. Mm-hmm. We, need, we do need to know a lot, and I'm, I never stop learning. I want to be better tomorrow than I was today. I know I'm not going to know everything. 
But as long as I know somebody to call, that's just as good. Um, like I met Dennis Laguerre online through like some training stuff, just talking back and forth. And we met in Philly when he was in, I don't know, probably like, I don't even know how long ago we had lunch. We've been friends ever since he spoke at our conference. Uh, it was quite, we just switched, we just switched some of our hosts. When we were doing that, I could bounce ideas off of them. Uh, I met one of your past guests, Kevin Christiana, uh, the chief down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, him um, in a nozzle forward class that he hosted. And we've been good friends ever since. I was able to get one of my guys to join Christiana, who just through their mentorship down there just got hired um, in Wilmington, Delaware. Okay. The, the networking aspect of it, um, I think, is really uh, is really good. In addition to just you know learning learning new things. Right, right. Um, so I met you back in 2014 uh, when I visited Kentland Fire Department. Um, yeah. And you're, fr- you're friends with Will, right? Uh, with Mac. Uh, okay, I thought you were friends with Will. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, because when I was coming down there, I was talking to Mac, and he was like, "Yeah, just come on down. Let me know the dates, and I'll put you on a truck and whatnot." Max, um, no, no, yeah, Max is a dude for sure. Uh, so do you think your experience while and hold on, so you were living, right? No, no, I was, I was what they called a part timer. I would just come down for a weekend here and there. Okay, it was about you know it was like a two and a half, sometimes three hour ride back and forth. Um, so I would just go down on a Friday to Sunday when I had. Okay, to. okay, so, so part timer. My question. Do you think your experience while being a member at Kentland, do you think it, I don't want to say it like formed you, but do you think it had, you know, just watching how they do things from calls to training to pride, do you think all that just helped you develop into a better firefighter, you know, for, for Fort Washington? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It also showed me what good really is. Um, Like I loved going down there because I think, you know, I'm a good fireman now. Like if I, what I know now, I say I'm probably a little bit above average because I've been able to meet people from all over the country. Uh, but going down there, you'll learn what what good fireman, what good fireman is, what a good officer is, and what a good driver is because there's no room for being okay. Like they expect everybody to be the best. They want to be better than the next engine. They want to be better than the next truck, and they don't just say it. I don't know how many times we'd sit down there with blank maps that weren't even in the first do. And the guys had to go and fill in the streets. It could be two, three, four, you know, boxes out of your local that they want the guys to know the streets. Like, even if you're not a driver. And then on top of that, they want you to know the splits in the 100 block. So let's say we have the 100 block and the 200 block of 5th Street. Well, if it's 102 5th Street, they want the engine to come in off of Front Street. And they want the tower to come off 3rd Street. And then if it's in the 200 block, it might be reversed. So I just learned the attention to detail to everything. What what really goes into being that good? And I really think Kentland is the best, not only best volunteer fire company in the country, they're probably one of the best fire companies in the country. Um, and I know people, I'm sure people listening roll their eyes. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. The people that, that are listening, they probably have never been. Exactly. I can't fault them because if you're only hearing certain things, and, and I'm not saying Kentland has, is, is perfect, or has never made mistakes because they have, I have. Um, it just seems like people tend to focus on it. But mm-hmm. I 100%, if my friends or family need help, I would be 100% confident that Kentland was coming to save. 100% every day, all day. Uh, those, the guys down there, 
good um, and they're held to they're held to the standards. I've seen when people uh, not not that they couldn't meet the standard, maybe they were being a little lazy or they weren't doing what they wanted to and they didn't last very long. Um, they don't they don't like mediocrity and if, if you don't live up to it, you're probably not going to be there that long. Um, and I was fairly experienced. I was I was a company officer when I went down there down there. So it wasn't as hard for me because I, I had the experience already and some knowledge. But to go down there as an as a new fireman, it's got to be pretty overwhelming. Um, just just everything you need to know and how fast you need to do it once you know it. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it it definitely showed me a lot of different things on how you know they're they're busy. Um, with, I think they could be like four or five thousand calls a year. You know, a lot of EMS, but they could lay a line and pull a line on every box. We might run four back-to-back boxes. We laid the line and pulled the lines and it looked just as good every time. Um, it was packed the same way. It didn't take that long. It was fun. Everybody enjoyed it. You know? um, so that, that was definitely eye-opening. So just because you're busy doesn't mean you can't um, you know, put hose on the street every time. Right. A lot of people don't like that. Um, but I learned that. I learned like <laughs> they, had, they, have a, they have a board uh, like a, a cork board in the in the apparatus bay right near the kitchen. And sometimes they'll have hatches out there or they'll put like uh, training minutes or something. And there was a, this, this uh, thing called the turtle. We just actually drilled on it uh, for Washington uh, recently for going over a fence or going up on, we actually were going up to a loading dock. Like say you're, you have a shoulder load of hose, you're in the engine company and you're stretching into a, to a building or going over a fence and you don't want to drop the load because you're not at, you're not in an IDLH atmosphere or you're not at your target. So you don't have a ladder. How do you get up on a loading dock or how do you get over a fence if you're not tall? Well, you just kind of like the other guy that's with, with it goes down and gets kind of like into the fetal position and you just stand on his back and go over the fence or go up onto the, go up onto the loading dock. Like, and that was a, a training minute with a picture on when to do it and how to do it. You know, like something that, that is simple that they, they, they put on there. So you might, you might need it. We used it. We used to go into a loading dock. We didn't have a ladder, so the guy kneeled down. The guy stepped on his back and got right up. Like like little stuff like that, where you, you might not even think about it. Mm-hmm. They've thought about it and done it. Oh no, definitely. Because I know when I was there, I watched. Um, I watched the there was an exercise where they stretched over the front. At the time, I believe there was a front fence in the yep. yeah. And I watched them do that. And no, it was eye opening. And like you said, I mean, I'll take a lot of those guys over career guys and Lee, you know, not trying to throw shade against any fire service out there, but those boys practice what they preach. It's no joke. Uh, there'll be, so, there'd be plenty of times where we'd be stretching the two fifty or the bumper line or the 400, whatever we were working on for three or four hours straight, like pull it off, put it on, pull it off, put it on. Pull. I mean, it didn't matter if it's cold, hot, whatever. Um, and repetition that ensures that, you know, you have that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Without a doubt. Yeah. Like you said, career volunteer, you know, a lot of my friends are, are career, a lot of volunteer and everybody says the same thing. Their compensation level is not, does not correlate to your skill level or your dedication. Or that's right. That's, that's damn right. Yes, you absolutely. Know, like one of, uh, one of, uh, one of my buddies owns a company that sells, you know, hose and nozzles, but they also do training. And he just got invited out to, I'm not going to say where, but a, a very large urban 
big name department, not New York, but someone like them. Mm-hmm. Just going over this um, thing called the turbo draft. It's so it's basically if you can't get an engine close to a water source, you, you put this like it's a floating strainer and you have you run a three inch out to it and you charge it. And with the three inch with the water going through the turbo draft, it creates that venturi effect and then gives you a uh, you can use soft sleeve as your intake as opposed to a hard sleeve. So you can kind of draft from a remote source. And he's like, these guys were so disengaged when I was out there trying to teach them. He's like, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, like, ah, oh, well, I'm just detailed here, or ah, uh, we don't go to fires here. He's like, they were totally not even engaged. This is like, if I told you who the, the department was, you'd be like, really? So it, it really doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. uh, if you're paid or not. You know, there's great pay guys, there's bad pay guys, there's great oh, yes, and there's terrible volunteers. Um, so, but yeah, Kentland shaped me a lot. And, you know, when you, you have to, when I bring stuff up now, instead of saying, now I try and say 33, mm-hmm. of, or I'll say Maryland instead of PG. Okay. Sometimes that, if you, if you associate with that, someone might already not want to listen. Yep. Yep. Which they shouldn't because they're awesome. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it definitely shaped me for the better. I'm still friends with a lot of those guys down there. We're uh, building their, their current wagon. Um, you know, we were talking back and forth about different different design aspects. Our our engine has a couple of. I mean, the Kentland bumper line we have um, that was from them. The, our trays and our engine are 45 in the front, which is something that 33 does, so that you can grab the hose load better, as opposed to it just being a box because it's harder to grab when the when the front isn't 45. Um, the side of our engine uh, is lower. The, the, uh, the compartments are 33 inches versus I think Pierce is normally like 38. So that brings where your hose racks are down lower, and it also brings the ladders down lower. Five inches doesn't seem like a lot. It is. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, or I know guys aren't going to be able to see the picture, but the, the my background on Zoom is our the back of our engine, and we're packing our 200, 300-foot lines as the Kentland Stinger. Um, so it's basically it's the, it's what you would call a Minuteman, but it's, it's two shoulder loads. It's not a shoulder load and a dump. So the top load and the bottom load are both shoulder loads. So they both play from the top. So I, I still have a lot of stuff that I learned there that is implemented on our current engine. Okay. Um, what would you say, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and continue, and continue loving a job? It's hard sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Right. Uh, but I just, uh, I, what all the people I looked up, up to have always said is, you know, leave the fire service better than you found it and pass on all the knowledge you have to somebody else. Um, and also ensure that the people below you are ready to take over. Um, so that's kind of what keeps, keeps me going. Uh, spreading knowledge, trying to give people info that can maybe help them change their department or make their department better or, or just get better themselves. Same thing when I, when I have a bunch, we had a bunch of you guys uh, that were really into it at Washington and that uh, that kind of reinvigorated me a lot because I would come in and they'd be out there throwing ladders on their own, not being told, you know, mm-hmm. stretching lines. I'm like, that's awesome, you know that. So that that kind of fires me back up to, to you know, design new drills or better drills or stuff that, that they're going to enjoy and, and benefit from. Um, but I guess the number one thing is going to going to a fire, going to an incident, and, do, and you know, everybody does a good job. That that's usually what is the best shot in the arm. You know, when you have a dry spell for a while. All the little stuff that normally wouldn't matter starts, you know, people start, you know, arguing with each other or they may not be as, uh, you know, as uh, happy walking around the firehouse when you really haven't 
done anything in a while. Right. You know, like I, I don't want any fires to happen. I don't want people to get into accidents, but they're going to happen. And if they're going to happen, I want to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially being a dad now, you can probably hear my son in the background yelling. Um, like, I, I don't want to see anybody hurt. I don't want to see anybody lose their stuff. I don't want to see fires happen, but if they happen. I want to be there. Absolutely. No, I totally get it. And that's, that's the sentiment of most firemen who love this job. We don't want to see anybody's, uh, you know, property get, you know, messed up or whatnot. But as of my, I had a previous guest, Kyrie, Kyrie Harris, he stated the only way to get good at doing this job is to actually go into fires. Not, I mean, he's like, you can do so, you can only do so much within a burn, within a burn can, then you can't actually real world. So that's why firemen love going to fires because that's the only way we get better at our job. I was, yeah, I was just, uh, we were actually training the other day. And luckily enough, I've been able to um, set up a couple uh, live burns in acquired buildings, which is the closest you can get to real training. Mm-hmm. Did a bunch of rows and we did a commercial building, which was awesome. Uh, but, but recently I was talking to a couple of guys. I'm like, I train a lot. I'm always reading. I'm always watching videos, listening to podcasts, like, you know, all the time when, when I'm driving the car, like I inundate myself with all the stuff, but I know not going to a fire. I'm just, my, my skills are, aren't where they should be. And there's really nothing you can do. You know, you, you can be good, but you can't be as good as you can be without actually doing it. But like I, I got to, I got to be command aide the other day to put a pretty decent fire, and I'm used to my setup that we have for Washington. We have the back of our command vehicle set up like an office. We have a flip up, um, like 24 inch monitor that we can use for the CAD, or we can pull up building layouts, or we can if the drones are there, we can have live drone feeds. We have like a little flat spot where I can put a small command board. I have a big command board with all my um, stuff to check off. And I got there. I'm like, hey. Talk to the first door. I say, like, I'll be your aide. Do you have a command board? No, not yet. So, like, a couple apparatus got there, and we're trying to run run the incident, which you can do without being organized, but I'm just so used to it. It was kind of a little uh, a little frustrating at first, and then we finally got a command board, and it was not one that I've used before. Um, so I know I wasn't as good as I could be, but now that I've, now that I've used that different command board, the next time, you know, I'll, I'll be better at it. Okay. So you kind of, with, without you knowing, you kind of uh, stumbled upon this next question. And this is, so you're the first that I'm bringing this out of, or okay. out for, because you are a chief officer. So my question for you is, uh, when when in command of a, of a scene, what's your preference? Do you want command to be inside the vehicle or outside the vehicle in the back? Um, It's weird. I I always do it in the back, um, but I would like to do it inside. Uh, it just seems to not work out that way. The only negative for me inside is I don't have as much room to uh, to write down. Like I have to use a smaller command board that would be like on the steering wheel. And then also we're switching to the passport system. I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys use mm-hmm. that. It is. Yeah, we do. From like using tags. So right. If I want to see where all those are. I don't really, you don't really have as much room to lay that stuff out if you're in, in the seat. So I, I like it. I want to try. I haven't been able to. So right now it's uh, in the back. But where I don't want it to be is on the front lawn without mobile radios, without anything to write down. Like I, I can't officially. It's basically as a command officer, you're, yeah, you're, you're probably given some tactics, but your company officers are the ones really 
making those decisions. You're just kind of organizing it. You need to know where everybody is and what, mm-hmm. who you have in reserve so that you can swap people out. You're kind of, you're just a, you know, an upper level manager. So to me, I need, I need an office set up to do that. I need multiple radius because we use two different channels. Um, and we just changed our SOP to always have an aid. So we have, you know, the OIC is on the tactical channel for anything operating, anything or anyone operating on the scene. And then the other channel would be for units not on scene, giving updates to the county, you know, that type of stuff. So the guys inside aren't aren't fighting for the channel for people that aren't even there. Right. Um, and and for, we, we review a lot of the line of duty desks and communications that always comes up. They say, you know, don't use a single radio. Don't use portable. Use mobile if you can. So that's why we use the vehicle. Um, but I'm, I, I, I want to try the, to see see how we go. I just haven't been able to. Okay. All right. Like I said, it was just an opinion question. Yeah. Something. One benefit like. is you can put the windows up. Right. Yeah. Which is why. Hey, hey, why hey, this, I, hey, that, but yeah, I'm doing something. I'll get you. You know, you can't do that when you're outside. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. So that's the downside. And if it's raining, one thing I learned is uh, dry erase markers. Once they get a little wet, can't use them. So I'm going to get um, grease pencils so that you can write in the rain. Okay. Hey, there you go. It's a tidbit out there for anybody listening. He just yeah. he just dropped a uh, a, a truth bomb there. <laughs> yeah. Um, in your opinion, what key elements or factors are needed to make a good firefighter, regardless of rank? Uh well, you have to want to do it. Uh, you know, like if you don't want to be good, you're not going to be. I mean, yeah, there might be a handful of people who just have the natural ability, but you have to want to do it. You have to want to learn. You have to want to read. You have to want to listen to people, uh, you know, provide their experience or, or their lessons learned. And you have to want to learn from your mistakes. You can't get better if you don't admit your mistakes and look at them and learn learn from them. Like I always listen to, if I'm on the radio a lot for an incident, I always go back and listen to the audio. Because nine times out of ten, the way I thought I sounded isn't how I really sound. Mm-hmm. Not saying that it's usually, I, I, I'm usually harder on myself and then I listen to it like, oh, I, I kind of sounded okay, but sometimes I'm like, why did I see it? Yeah. So the next time I won't say a certain, I won't give a size up a certain way or, or I'll um, use, I, maybe I used the wrong term or if I, I don't ever use people's names, but I've just said something. I'm like, why did I say that? I would right. harp on somebody else not to say that. So I think you just have to have the drive to, to want to be good and you have to want to learn from your mistakes. Is number one and be willing be willing to make a decision knowing that it could be wrong. Like as a command officer, you'd be like, hey, I want to send, I want to send guys in this exposure. I think they can get it. And then something bad can happen. You know, you have to be, you have to be willing to make it. Um, and something bad could happen and it could not be your fault. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when chiefs just don't want to make a decision. Um, and you need to, you need to be able to do that. And, and a lot of times quickly. Right. No, I, I have, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that last statement. Um, that, you know, certain chiefs out there are afraid of the worst case scenario, which in turns kind of maybe prevents them or her, uh, or him or her to not make a decision, which, you know, thus can lead to something even more catastrophic or, or the fire getting bigger. So a- as a chief officer for you being one, do you always keep that in the back of your head? Like, okay, if, if I send these guys in here, I know I'm I'm sending them to do this, but just that little bit of your back of your mind, you're always wondering what if. Yeah, yeah, but I don't let that phase my. I, I know 
at this point the type of uh, uh, or the the level of risk that's worth it. Mm-hmm. And if if I'm if I was the company officer, I always try to put myself in his position or her position as a chief. Like, okay, would I be going in and doing this? Yeah, I would. Okay, I'm gonna send them. If I wouldn't, then I won't. You know. Um, and I'm not a I'm not a hey. There's nobody in there. We're not going in. Like, that's that's somebody's house. I you know my family members have had a fire. If you save half their house save half their pictures or like my grandfather was in world war ii his uniform got ruined so i don't have his his uniform luckily they saved his medals you know so i've had a lot of times where guys like oh well it's you know it's three quarters of the house is burned why are we gonna go in there i'm like well because there's a quarter not burned the job is to protect life property you know now if it's fire blowing out you know both floors and there's like one room and it's not safe yeah i'm not i'm not gonna commit people but I'm not gonna, I'm not the evacuate the building guy when there's a couple rooms on fire, which is pretty common. I think a lot of people I've seen it happen plenty of times. I'm like, you're evacuating the building, like the first floor's not on fire. There's two rooms on fire on the second floor. And it's the same thing. Like, oh, I don't want something bad to happen, so let's pull them out. Or something that it's hard for me to really hold someone hold against someone is they haven't seen what the amount of fire that somebody can put out safely and or that, you know, like they haven't, they haven't gone to a lot of fires. Um, I think one of the first fires I was at in Kentland, I think the whole place was on fire. I, th- I put the video, the video is actually on YouTube. It was a split level. And there was fire everywhere. They went in, they put the fire out. It was on multiple floors, front, back, you know. And, and so from seeing that, you, you know, you build up your your, uh, your previous fire experience, knowing what, what you can can't do a lot of people don't know like you can but you know with, with one line it's going to go out in 30 seconds hold on can, so, can you repeat that the the audio kind of broke up i mean just know the volume of fire that you can put out okay there's a video of like a, a two or three story um colonial with a big front porch the whole front porch on fire if you look up second floor like there's no smoke coming out of the window so you know it's probably mostly just the porch on fire as soon as you hit that even if you if you hit it from the outside um like with a deck on or something it's going to go out in like 20 30 seconds and then you can just march right in mm-hmm. times guys don't know that so they'll stay exterior and never send anyone in um so i think i think not having the, the fire experience the winds um is why a lot i see a lot of people evacuate the building unnecessarily and okay and to, to build on that, a tactical withdrawal and evacuating the building to me are two totally different things. If like if things aren't going well, if I'm looking and, and smoke's getting worse, and I'm like, you know what, let's back down to the first floor. I don't want to commit guys to the second floor because I think there's new walls and I don't think they're getting that's that to me is like a tactical withdrawal where other people might call it, hey, evacuate the building. To me, if I say evacuate the building, I want you diving out the window. I want you run, you know, like it's imminent. You need to get out now. Right from people using the, the evacuate the building for a tactical withdrawal and in, and a true evacuation, I think is, is a kind of an unsafe thing that uh, unsafe tactic that, that happens a lot. So if, I, if you hear me evacuate the building, you need to get out right away. Drop mm-hmm. it. Have. It's something I see around here that I don't, I don't, I don't agree with. Okay. Uh, what would you say to a hungry, eager, motivated firefighter who feels like they're being surrounded or held back by non-motivated or complacent culture? Find a place 
that has a bunch of people like you, like a Christiana, like a Kentland, you know, if you can surround yourself with people that are like you. Uh, Kentland is like, if you took the people, you know, the motivated guy who, who wants to always make stuff better, who wants to change off or wants to expose loads at company, always like, no, we're not, not always done it this way. You take those two guys from, say, Fort Washington, two guys from somewhere in, in New York, and two guys from somewhere in Maryland. That's what makes up like the Christianas and the Kentlands. It's all those guys that are into it that went to went to a, a company where everyone's like them. You know, all the guys that want to be there, they want to train, they they want to get better. Now, you may not be able to do that. Um, so, if you can't, uh, I would say just expose yourself to as much training as you can. Mm-hmm. You can bring those people with you that may not see see things the same way as you, and you never know. You might be able to turn one or two of them like, oh man, I didn't. You know, I've had guys like that, like, oh, we're not doing that. That hose is stupid, and they didn't know anything about it. They didn't like it. And then once, uh, either we had a guy come in to, that was a from like say a different company in a different state, and he's like, oh no, this is why we use this. This is how we use it. Blah blah. And the guy's like, oh, I get it. He just said it differently. You know, so some people may get on your level, and then there's just other people that won't. Um, and you can't focus on them because you can't change them. Um, you can only worry about you and trying to get better. But uh, but if you can go to stuff like um, if you can go to stuff like uh, FDIC or Fire Department Training Network, which is another awesome one, or now there's conferences all everywhere. Over- yes. Um, Right. Um, like I liked, I went down the command officer boot camp that Kurt Isaacson runs down the floor. Okay. It was right. awesome. I didn't know, but a bunch of my buddies were already there, like were there, you know, so people I knew were there. It was great. Um, you know, we're having Kurt come to our conference this year in February. Um, so he's going to speak. So I'm, I'm happy about that because um, his, uh, his uh, presentation, it's worth the risk. Mm-hmm. The best slide I've ever seen in anything was fight the fire. Like it's your house and you don't have insurance. That's the mindset I want everybody to have. You know, I, I just, I just love that. And and even me now, like going going and seeing these these guys speak, like they're not always saying things that, or providing tactics that I don't already know, but just the way they say it or the mode get at, like you know you want to you want to go back and you want to go to a fire. So, no, I I like that. I fight the fire like it was your own house and you don't have insurance. I mean that yeah. that's that's pretty much why especially if your career, that's why you have a job is because of these taxpayers, the people that we say, Hey, yes, you know, we, we, we are going to protect you. We will come for you. We need to do that. And the whole complacency or, you know, uh, or, you know, the worst, the worst thing you can see is uh, a a fire truck pull up and the guys or girls getting out are not moving with a purpose. They're just like slow dragging, like, come on. Especially nowadays with everybody doing this when you pull up with a camera. A hundred percent. Because people, we have a, um, we have a group, a Facebook group. It's private around us. It's called uh, the Monco Firebird. We're in Montgomery County. So as soon as uh, a box goes out, it's on, it's posted on, on the group, you know, where it is, who it is, what units they are. And then, It'll just go note by note. Like first guy gets there, what's the size up? If it's a fire, and then basically, so if you're not around, if you're not near a radio, you can follow what's going on. Or if it's a mutual aid, you can say, "Hey, I'm like maybe we're going on this." But 
there can be a video, there can be a picture, and everybody in the county is going to see it. So not people are going to make mistakes, but if you're not trying, people are going to know it. Yeah, and that, and that's the biggest thing. We're not we're not trying to tell, and I'm sure you feel the same. We're not trying to go tell people out there, you know, go out and be reckless and anything. But no. the the main focus is train to get better at doing the job. And yes, we all make mistakes, but you have to at least prepare yourself to be good at the job because this is not a profession, whether you're a career volunteer, where you could just wing it. Like winging it doesn't happen. You're that's destined to fail. Yep. Yeah, I can remember. We, we were always like engine centric in my department. Like guys were always good. They could, they would go in, they'd put fire out. They uh, very rarely would they evacuate the building. We had a tower. It would run forth. We'd run two engines to rescue and then run the tower forth. That's just how it was. We weren't very truck oriented. oriented. Um, so as far as using a Halligan to force a door, I didn't know. I didn't know if you should put the ads in, you should put the fork in. Like I didn't even know what the term ads was for a while. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, traditions training come in. This was, I don't even know how long ago. And they did a, a truck company class. So they showed us how to force a door. You know, and I remember going up, uh, I was in the one group with the, the door. And it's like, all right, how would you put the Halligan in there? Like, I had no idea. I, like, no idea, you know? So, and then from that, that opened my eyes up. They showed us how to do it. They showed us multiple different ways. And then we took classes after that. And I practice more. And now, like, you know, forcing a residential door, or even sometimes commercials, it's like a letdown because it's usually easier than the than the training door most of the time, especially if it's a wood core, uh, wood door, wood jam. Um, but, like, when you're in those pressure situations, you always revert to your lowest level of training. Um, same thing that opened my eyes to is, like, you know, we all have to research CPR and first aid all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I do the 15 compression. Um, but I responded to the turnpike one day to a vehicle accident. Just thinking it was a regular accident. I get there first in the command vehicle, and I see two people dragging a lady out of a car that hit a tractor trailer onto the, onto the grass. And it turned out it was a, some kind of EMT that was off duty and like a DEA agent. And I'm, I get there. I'm like, what's up? Like, she's not breathing. I'm like, double check one more time. She's like, she's not breathing. So we just instantly did CPR. My next unit got there with the AD. We hooked it up. Um, and then once the medics got there, we, we we worked on it a little bit more. And then they took over and took her away. I'm like, I didn't think of, hey, where do I put my hand? What do I, you know, what do I do? Or how do I hook it? Like, I didn't think of it because we, even though the class is boring and I've done it for 23 years straight, that helped me. And, and it turns out that that, unfortunately, she, she passed away. That woman was one of my buddy's sisters who's a fireman. Like, you know, down the road from us. Okay. So he, called me, he called me later. Uh, well, one of their chiefs called me like, hey, do you mind talking to him? He wants to talk to him. Like, this is not going to be an easy phone call. But I would I would want to talk to him if, if the roles are reversed. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, what happened? I told him. He's like, he's like, I'm like, look, man, there was people there as soon as it happened. I saw them taking her out of the car. I got there right away. You know, we rendered care right away. Hooked up the AED right away. It's just, there's nothing we could do. And he, you know, he was upset, but I, if I didn't know what I was doing, or if we delayed doing CPR, or if I delayed um, hooking up the AED, I wouldn't be able to tell him that, you know, and I, I don't know how I would live with myself. I mean, obviously you don't want any person uh, to pass away, but if it's someone you know, 
and you failed because you didn't pay attention at your your CPR refresher or your AED refresher. Like so, that's I have a couple examples like that personally, where uh, repetition and and actually um, being a master of the basics. If you that's, master, that's what I always preach. Yep. You are going to be set the overwhelming majority of the time. Mm-hmm. We do technical stuff, stretching a hose line, not technical. Putting the ladder up, not that technical. Doing a search, okay. You need to you need to think a little bit more. Uh, but if using a Halligan bar, if you can do all that stuff and you're good at it, you are going to win the overwhelming majority of the time. Yeah, and you can tell the people that have never pulled a hose on. You know, when they pull when they pull it off and they drop it at the pump panel and they charge it, they can't even get it to the front doors because it's tied in knots. You can tell they don't train on it. Or when they go to when they go to force a door, you can tell if they've ever tra- if they've ever trained. Um, so, yeah, training is training, and in your lowest level of training is definitely what you revert to. Absolutely, absolutely, preaching there because uh, that's what I tell people. Like, and I, you know, no, me. I always give credit to the guys that do technical rescue, high angle rescue, because that's all. That's way more involved. Yeah. I don't, I, that's not my thing. I mean, I've been, you know, I have my, my, my technical rescue, but my gosh, I can tell you the last time, you know, I had to do anything that crazy. So any individual listening that's on those type of apparatuses, I, I, I salute you that do water rescue, dive rescue, all that good stuff. But for the majority of the fire service, the basics are the bread and butter. And if you can get down, if you can get that down pat, you're setting yourself up to have a pretty good winning percentage for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. The technical, the tech, we, we actually, our County just formed a, a paid technical rescue team that anybody can join, uh, but they have two stations and they actually just built another station in our first due. So we're, well, we don't, we don't need to, to certify up to that level. It's it's good knowing they're there because, uh, you know, if we have a someone hanging from a mm-hmm. or, or if we have a trench rescue, which we used to we used to do trench rescue, but it's you have to train so much on it. We we didn't have enough time to train on that and all the other stuff. Um, so it's uh yeah, I give those guys a lot of credit. They need to do water rescue, rope rescue, trench rescue, find space rescue. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, no. that's definitely a lot, and definitely not for me. Uh, and I'm I'm always I'm very honest because I have humility, so I, I I salute individuals that do that. My hats off to you. Yeah, man. Um, in your opinion, what do you think the American Fire Service can improve on? Training in real buildings, hundred uh, percent. Train, you know, I would say pretty much every fireman today, their first fire in a real building is a real fire not training it, you know there's i wouldn't I, i'd say probably the overwhelming majority and i think that's a fail it's it's not hard to use fire buildings it's not unsafe and there's rules and procedures in place to keep it safe and that's that's where i think we need to improve um in pennsylvania uh it's weird because if you go like like mid the middle of pennsylvania west like you know, you have Philly and Pittsburgh that are urban. Well, everything in between that is like rural. Okay. It, it's crazy. Like you go outside of uh, Montgomery and Bucks and, and drive just not even that far, you'll see farms. Um, so it seems like that area, their way, they let them, the, the companies are more adapt to, 
to burn buildings than they are in our area. Okay. So it has to go in Pennsylvania, it has to go through the state fire academy. So you have to run a structural burn class. So you have, I think, I think it was two or three classrooms. And then the, the fourth day is structural burn. Instead of being in a burn building, it's in a fire building. So you have to take that class. They go over everything. Um, you have to have your cert so they make sure everyone has fire one. Oh, I, think, I think it's just fire one. Everybody has to have that. Um, you have to do a, um, uh, a, a, a vital, get all your vitals. So you have to have you know, the medics take your, take your heart rate and all that stuff and have it written down ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Permit from the DEP, which isn't a big deal. And the DEP will only provide the permit if it's through the state fire cap. That's kind of like the checks and balances. So I can't just say, hey, we're going to go burn a house down tomorrow for training. Um, and basically all the DEP wants to know is where, where are you doing it? Like, is it there? There's more leeway if you're in the middle of nowhere versus where we are, where it's like densely populated. Um, is all the plastic out of the house? Is the carpet out of the house? It, you know, that's, that's the type of stuff um, that they don't want in there. So like we had to take light fixtures out, uh, vertical blinds, uh, thermostats, um, some HVAC ducting in the commercial building we had to take down and then they'll, so they'll do a pre walkthrough and then they'll do a final walkthrough. And once I see it's okay, then they issue you the permit. Um, you obviously need to have permission from the, the property owner and our, our township is, and our fire marshals is okay with us doing it. And that's basically what you do. Um, you, you have to burn pallets and hay only. You can't uh, burn tires or couches or that. Right. You can burn only one room at a time. There has to be a backup line, you know, for the instructors that are up there. Um, you have to have your own attack lines. You have to have two water sources or two engines with water sources. Um, you know, and it's it's real structured. It's not unsafe. And I think that's where our focus needs to be is to train in real buildings. Because uh, the best quote I heard when we did the row homes, because I did it the first time I did it, I had the field con there. So I had them dispatch the fire. and the Guys would just operate like there was a fire and there was a dispatcher there. So it was 100. The only thing that was different from a real fire is we knew where the fire was and we set it. Right. Um, so like you hear the dispatch, you hear the size up, you hear the guys going in. And the best thing I heard was one of the, one of the students was like, man, this is just like a real fire. Yeah. That's, that's what we want to train on as realistic as we can within, within the rules and being safe. So I think that's where our focus needs to be is training in real buildings. Even if you can't set them on fire, like use fake smoke, like the Bullard, um, or the Bullex, I think it's a Bullex smoke machine that we have. It's the best. We can smoke. We smoked up a commercial building, no problem. Um, so I, we we our uh, our fire marshal anytime a demo permit is pulled, he'll ask the property owner if we can train it. And we don't burn them. You know, we we'll do we'll stretch hose lines. And put them right, in. right. So we'll do that kind of stuff. But I'd say it's like 90 percent. They say yes just by asking. Uh, so I think that that. Using real buildings is where the fire service can 100%. Okay. Uh, one more question for you, uh, uh, a, chief, a chief officer question. Uh, do you believe for a department to be successful, a communication amongst the ranks is a must? To be successful? Um, depends what you determine successful. As far as on an incident? No. So, like, you know, okay. So I can definitely use this. Like your your current company, Fort Washington, when you were at the thirty three, yes, you know they had aggressive guys and they were good at their job. But 
like for a community for a department to be to be good do you think there should be a a there should be a good level of communication from top down down up yeah, yeah overall um you can have a bunch of guys that are good chiefs that do good on incidents but but it sucks being at the firehouse because none of them like each other um so so yeah like we have you know we um the officers if something's going on it my chief is really good about letting all of us know like we have a text string so say if there's like a road closed or we're going to be short staffed or if uh you know we need there's a public event coming up that he needs help with or something like he's really good about sending it out to everybody uh if you screw up he'll tell you you know he's not gonna he's not gonna sugarcoat it but you know sometimes it's tough to hear but i, I know i appreciate it mm-hmm. you might not know so it, yeah I, I would agree um as a whole to be successful you need to you could you could you could get by on incidents you know not liking each other but not the whole company won't be in good shape if you're not if you don't talk much or you don't fill people in or i know like i'm a little uh, ambitious when it comes to training like I, we just i just got contacted by the guys that do um i think it's training to perform under pressure i think that's the name of their training group something like that they they got a grant from the Gary Sinise Foundation where they can provide free training um, and they, they need a volunteer department. So I'm setting that up for September. Right. But I haven't even uh, let my chief know about it yet. Um, so like sometimes I'll, I'll be doing something and he'll someone be like, Hey, I, I heard uh, Zach setting this up. What do you think about it? He's like, I don't know anything about that. So on my end, I, I try to make sure I send him an email or see him in person just to keep him up. Not that he's against what I'm doing or he, right. Just right. When someone asks him, he wants to be like, Oh yeah, I know he's doing that. He told me, that. you know, just right. So it's not necessarily that something is being done wrong. Just let him know so he doesn't look bad when someone asks him. About it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's pretty I'm much trying what to I, do, and I, I understand. Yeah. Like transparency, pretty much. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. No, that's all I got. Is there anything else out there you'd like to? I mean, you know, I always kind of like to leave it up to the individual. If you want to, what I call preach a little, you know, is there anything else you'd want to send out there to anyone listening? Uh, the only thing I got is that we have a we have the Southeastern PA Fire Conference in uh, February of next year. It's going to be in Upper Dublin, in our area, uh, which is right outside of Philly. It's only ninety five bucks a person for a full day, includes food, breakfast, lunch. Uh, we're going to have four awesome speakers. I haven't announced them all yet, but I did say Kurt Eisenman's going to be there. It's a good dude. He's uh, he'll definitely get people motivated. So if you need a shot in the arm, or you know people that do, um, it's definitely definitely a good time. That's that's all I got. I try not to, to talk much about tactics. I've been around guys that, that should talk about tactics and I have nowhere near the experience that they do. Uh-huh. I'm a good I'm a good fireman, I'm a good chief, but I don't I don't I try not to uh to preach on the tactics and uh, just because I don't think my experience is there. No, no, no. And and like I said, it's all about being humble with yourself. You know, like you said it, I, I definitely have said it, you know, I don't know everything. Every day that I go to work, I learn something new or try to learn something new. If somebody asks me a question, if my youngest fireman that I have with me in the back asks me a question and I don't know, I'm going to tell him, I don't know, but I'm going to try to find you the answer. You know, uh, a buddy of mine, actually, uh, Stephen Eller, actually put on his Facebook, couple, uh, I think it was yesterday, talking about firemen and egos. Egos is the biggest morale killer within the fire service guys that want to be all bad and macho. And it's like, listen, there's no place for egos here. We're all trying to learn. We're all trying to get better. Yeah, I agree. 
I've been there. You know, sometimes I'm not saying I'm 100% all the time. I have to, I have to, you know, tone down how I say things to certain people. You know, the way you say things may be good for one person, may be bad for somebody else. You know, Correct. I, like, um, I, I like the hard, like, if I do something wrong, I want you to tell me, hey, don't do that. Like, we're going to an incident. We had, for example, we were going to a, we were going on a run the other day. We were like the, I think it was a box, mutual aid box. So we're going, and the guys are getting ready, and I, and their seatbelt, I could hear the buzzer going off. Their seatbelt wasn't on, and I and I heard the first in officer say, "Hey, it's just it's just trash in the rear. It's not a fire." But they didn't they didn't return the balance yet. So I just yelled back, "My like, guys, put your seatbelts on. Like we're turning around. This isn't a fire." That's how I said it. Apparently, a couple people didn't like that. So I I guess I got to like. Hey guys, just put your seatbelt on. We're gonna get turned around. Maybe even hear the radio transmission. You know, I just gotta say it. I can't say it. That's what I meant. That's how I felt. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it was two guys. One who one who's been around a long time who didn't say anything to me, and a, and a newer guy who did. But he he called me. He's like, hey, this, I'm just letting you know. This is how I felt when you said that the other day. I'm like, all right, well, look, I wasn't trying to piss you off or anything. I was upset. Um, but I'll try to, you know, not say, say it uh, that way in the future. Right. I want to. Um, and I went to the, the other fireman, who's actually one of our senior guys. I said, look, I, I talked to so-and-so. Um, he said, you know, you guys didn't like the way I said that to you the other day. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to piss you off. I appreciate what you do and I won't do it again. You know, so um, I, th- I think that that's important, too. No, absolutely. I mean, you got to. You, Take you it gotta... when you're not. When you, when you don't do something right as much as that's how I want to say it, that's why I want to say it every time. Cause that's how I, I want to hear it. You know, everybody's not the same. So I gotta, I gotta change my, my tone and how I say things depending on who's there. You know, Absolutely. Yep. And it's, I, if I was a fireman, I wouldn't have to, but I'm, I'm an officer and I'm a chief. So it's not about what I want to do. You know, it's what the right thing is. So I have to, that's how I have to do it. And then when I go back to being a fireman one day, then I can say whatever I want. <laughs> no i i get it i mean i'm i'm kind of like you like if if i fuck up i want whether my officer or somebody i mean there's a time and a place you don't want to do it out in front of everybody and because you don't want to belittle that person but when we get back to the house pull me inside hey i didn't like this i don't like that because i i'm the type of person i like i want you to be truthfully honest with me because your true friends are going to tell you when you're messing up especially in this in this field where a mistake can can either can lead to something catastrophic or you know or or it could be something minor it's something you're always learning but definitely as you said there's a time and a place you got to be able to know your audience like if it's a, if it's a good friend of yours you can probably like tell them like you did and your yeah. buddy's going to go oh yeah you know he's right and that's it and there's no issues yep. so totally get it 100% um but no, I appreciate having you on. Um, I reached out to you and you were like, yeah, absolutely, man. Let's do this. Um, it's it's really refreshing, like I said, hearing the fact that a volunteer organization is pretty much what I want to call like you're kind of hosting like little mini conferences within yeah. your area. And that's yeah. awesome. That That is that is fantastic uh, for people, like I said, not not that can't afford or maybe just don't have the time to go all the way to Indy, Indy for FDIC. Um, so you guys are definitely doing great things in Fort Washington. Um, yeah, the funding can... helps. We're funded a hundred percent by our, by our council. So awesome. Awesome. We have, we have uh Tim Kleck coming up, uh, I think next month doing hoarding, you know, so we paid for it. We're hosting it. We're 
inviting our mutual aid, whoever wants to come, they can come. We're not charging. My chief's okay with it. So um, I try to try to spread the wealth around, you know, so other companies might ha- not have the funds to bring them in. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in this day and age. We, yeah, we let them, we let them come for free. So we have the room. It doesn't cost us anything extra, you know. Awesome. No, awesome, man. That's that's keep up, keep up, uh, keep doing the the great work you're doing, man. As a training chief slash assistant chief, that's awesome. But I appreciate having you on, man. Uh, it was good talking to you. Yeah, you too, man. I'll, I'll I can talk for fire for hours. <laughs> I I would we could go a little longer, but like I said, I got to take my uh my daughter's got a uh, some dance recital thing, so I got to keep the yep. missus happy. My son's out there beating down the door. <laughs> I hear you. All right, pal. Well, it was good talking to you. You too. All right. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.